Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. The rest of you can open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be looking to begin with at chapter 11. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are uh, white paperback Bibles under the chairs in front of you. And so uh, you can grab one and um, it will be very helpful for you if you have a Bible in your lap. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture today. Acts chapter 11 is on page 536 of the white paperback Bibles. It was in 2011, about six years ago, that the leadership of New Life released a strategic plan where we laid out our rationale, our reason for planning a church. And so for the last six years, you've been hearing a lot about this. And a lot of steps have been taken. Josh just told you a little bit about things that have happened in the last six months, but there's been a lot happening in the last six years preparing for this day. Uh, We brought in a guy named Ted Powers years ago from our denomination, one of our church planting advisors and leaders, and he spoke to us, and we've got support from our presbytery, our regional connection of churches uh, for this church plant. Um, By God's grace, the, the, the leadership here at New Life, the elders, the deacons, and the staff have all been united in this effort to plant a church Josh has been to the Assessment Center, uh, a service provided by our denomination to train and prepare and assess church planters. He went there and passed. Um, He's been through a three-year church planting apprenticeship here at the church. Money has been raised. A core group has been recruited. A lot has happened. And now here we are. And the time has come. And we are ready to send out this group of people to plant a church in downtown Muncie. About 30 people from this congregation uh, will be leaving as of today. Not all of them are here, some of them are away from, uh, for the summer, but this will serve as our very first daughter congregation. And there is a, a real excitement about this, to see churches multiplying. And, and you're going to see as we go through the book of Acts how biblical and good this is. And so we're delighted that this is happening. And at the same time, there's a certain sadness that goes along with church planning. There's something that's a little bit bittersweet about this. Uh, this is going to present a lot of new challenges both for us and, of course, for City Hope here at New Life. There's going to be a lot more empty seats in the coming weeks, a lot less money coming in because of the people who have gone with City Hope. But most difficult, it's going to be to say goodbye to friends, goodbye to brothers and sisters in Christ. And so for a lot of us, our hearts are are aching because of that. And when I explain all that to you, what you might be saying is, Tell me again why we're doing this. (laughs) You're sending people out, less people, goodbye to friends, this kind of hurts, this is hard. Why do we have to do this? And so that's what I want to take time this morning to do, is to remind you why we're doing this uh, in the book of Acts. You see on the screen here, before I I go any further, I want to um, make sure you had an opportunity to... 
take a look at this list. This is what Josh was talking about, the items that he needs uh, or is requesting to be donated uh, for the church plant. So um, it got up for just a moment while Josh is talking, but I want to make sure that you're able to see that. So Josh, they should just contact you if they have these things to, to donate, right? Okay. So um, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts to try to remind us here of why it is that we're church, uh, planning a church and why this is such an important thing. So let me just set some context for where we're going to be starting here. Acts chapter 11, 19 through 26 is the first passage we're going to read, and then we're going to jump forward to chapter 13. But when we look in the Gospels, we find Matthew in particular ending his Gospel with the words of Jesus that are called the Great Commission. And Jesus says this to his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Great Commission. This is what Jesus has commanded his disciples to do. Now, when we get into the book of Acts, what the book of Acts basically is, is an explanation, an account of how the early Christians sought to fulfill the Great Commission. That's the book of Acts, the Great Commission in action. And what we find at the beginning of the book of Acts is that the church of Jesus Christ takes root in a city called Jerusalem. And you'll see Jerusalem down here on the bottom of the screen. And so that's where the early church first began. But just as we talked about with the children a moment ago, um, as you continue to read in the book of Acts, you'll see that some persecution broke out. Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, and the very first occasion where uh, opposing forces came in and persecuted the church. And what happened as a result of that is the church began to spread. Christians began to get scattered throughout the region. And so from Jerusalem, Christians got scattered up north and wound up in Antioch. And so that was the next place where the church began to kind of take root. And what we find is the church established in the city of Antioch. And as we pick up here in Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19, that's the setting. That's where the Christians are, Antioch. And as we read this, with an eye in particular toward the importance of church planning, I'm hoping that our hearts will be filled more with gladness than sadness as we get ready to send away City Hope Fellowship. So let's stand to read God's Word, Acts chapter 11, 19 through 26. And then I'm going to jump ahead and read chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Acts 11, 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus 
to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now going ahead to chapter 13, first three verses. Now there were some in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, um, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. God in heaven, we ask that your Holy Spirit would bless the preaching of your word. Give power to the preaching of your word. Change us, God. Transform us, O Lord. Send us away from this place different than how we entered it and more eager to serve the Lord Jesus and to advance his kingdom and the power of your spirit. In his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so two things that I want to show you from this text about this question of why it is we're planning a church. The first one is this. The Great Commission begins by planning churches. So let, let me try to show you this. And let me say this to begin with. Some people, when they think of the Great Commission, this command that Jesus has given to his disciples to go out and uh, make disciples, very often the way people read that as if it only has any bearing on kind of one-on-one -on -one evangelism. A lot of people have looked at the Great Commission and interpreted it in a very individualistic way, as if the Great Commission is only fulfilled when one person meets with one person and the gospel is shared and the person prays the sinner's prayer, invites Jesus into his or her heart, and then is kind of taught how to read the Bible and pray, and then that's the end of it. And it's like, okay, now we have a Christian through this one-on-one -on -one encounter, and now this person has this personal relationship with Jesus, and this person is reading the Bible and praying, and it's just kind of left alone. And we feel like, okay, the Great Commission is fulfilled because of this individual person who became a Christian. Now, that's a good thing, what I've just described, but that falls short of the pattern and the example that we see set forth in the book of Acts. The Great Commission is fulfilled in the book of Acts, not just through individual encounters, but through the planting of churches. That's the primary way we see the Great Commission going forward, the planting of churches. So let me show you this as we go back to chapter 11 and look at verses 19 through 26. Verses 19 and 20. Notice um, that... Uh, the gospel, first of all, was going forth only to the Jews. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So that was the effort of the church, reach the Jews with the gospel. But as a result of this persecution and as the people began to migrate toward Antioch, we see in verse 20 that there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. Hellenists, that means Greeks. Those are Gentiles. So it's in Antioch now that non-Jews or Gentiles begin 
hearing the gospel. And in verse 21, we see the result of this. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So we have these Gentiles who have no background whatsoever in Old Testament Scripture or in Jewish religion, but when they hear about Jesus, that there is this Savior who has come to die for them and has risen from the dead to forgive them of their sins, by the grace of God, they believe, and there are many people converted. Well, as a result of that, then, word gets back to Jerusalem. Hey, there's something going on in Antioch. There's all kinds of people believing in Jesus. And again, Jerusalem is kind of the center of the Christian church at this time. And so Jerusalem responds like this. Verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report, verse 22, of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So the church in Jerusalem finds this godly man. Barnabas is described later as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, verse 24. And so he is sent from Jerusalem to Antioch to kind of check things out, make sure this is legitimate. And so when Barnabas gets there, it says he's, he's glad. And he says, you know, this is wonderful. Yes, the gospel is bearing fruit here in this place. Genuinely and truly people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Then, the next thing he does, verse 25, is he goes to look in Tarsus for a man named Saul. Now, Saul's conversion to Christ was described in chapter 9, so Saul is also known as Paul, and so this is kind of in this transitionary part of Paul's life where his name is changing, so he's referred to as Saul here, but uh, it's Paul. Who, who is in mind. And we find here now that Barnabas and Paul both go to Antioch, verse 26. When he had found him, when Barnabas had found Paul, he brought him to Antioch. Now, this is the point I want to make, verse 26. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. They met with the church now, when you look at that, you ought to think, what church? What church are they talking about? You know, a church that had been there 20 or 30 years? No. How could that be? If you go to the end of the passage, it says this is the place where believers in Jesus were first called Christians. There was no church there when the believers fled from Jerusalem up to Antioch. So how did a church get there? A church was planted that's the obvious answer. The Christians fleeing the persecution go up to Antioch, and after hearing the word of being converted to Christ, they form a church. They set up a church. They're not content to just be individual, isolated Christians in their own personal, individual relationship with Jesus. A church is started. This is how the Great Commission is fulfilled, friends. Not just individual encounters of evangelism, but when the gospel is proclaimed, when many are added to the Lord, and when churches are formed. A guy named Steve Timmis, this is a guy who started a church planting network called Acts 29, which has been prolific in planting churches all over the world. He says this, the spirit is a church planting spirit. Church planning is the preferred divine method of evangelism, 
of kingdom expansion, of fruit bearing, of discipleship making, of men and women being rescued from darkness into light. What the Holy Spirit does as the Spirit is accompanying the proclamation of the gospel and as people are added to the number of believers and are converted, the Spirit plants churches, local congregations where people come together to fellowship and to worship. And there's something about church planting. There's just something about new congregations that tend to be the means by which more people come to face faith than more established congregations like, like New Life. I mean, there's a lot of you know, theories about why that might be, but you know, when you get to a place in a church where you have a sanctuary of this size and you have a certain number of people who are regularly coming, it can occur that a certain kind of comfort kind of sets in, a certain kind of complacency kind of sets in. We kind of get this idea that, okay, we've, you know, we've arrived. I mean, we've got our building. We're meeting budget. We've got a pretty good number of people. And it's just easy to just kind of kick back a little bit. But, you know, church plants are different. Church plants are kind of desperate. <laughs> desperate in a good way. It's like, I've... They've got to invite people to come to church because they've got to build a church. They want people to come to know Jesus and to come in to their fellowship and to be discipled and to grow. They're talking to everybody they can about Jesus and inviting them to church. It's just it's not always that way in more established churches, and I think that's one of the reasons why we see church plants being such an effective way of bringing people to faith. I want to remind you of some, st some statistics that we shared with you. In that strategic plan uh, in 2011, um, and I think I mentioned this in a message uh, a couple years ago when we were talking about church planning. The, the statistics are a little bit outdated, okay, going back to 2010, but I just want to stick with the stats that, that I presented to you or that we presented to you in that strategic plan. But these are population statistics uh, for Delaware County, 2010. Population in our county, about 117,000 people. According to city data, people affiliated with a religious congregation represent 27.3% of those 117,000 people. Now, this is the way it's phrased on uh, the survey that, that, we, that we found. People affiliated with a religious congregation. So that could be um, the Unitarian Church. It could be... Uh, a, a mosque, uh, it, it could be the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, it's not specifically defined. So probably the number of people affiliated with a gospel-preaching Christian church is even less than that. But if you do the math, 27% of 117,000, that leaves 85,000 people in this county not part of a church. 85,000 people. Now I know a lot of questions sometimes get asked about a church plant, which is why are we doing this? There's so many churches all over, all over town. There's churches everywhere in Delaware County. And yeah, that's true, but how come there's 85,000 people still unreached? There's clearly a lot of work to do in reaching people with the gospel. Let's say that by the grace of God, New Life was able to plant five churches in the next 10 years of 200 people each which would be an enormously ambitious goal. That would be a 1,000 more people 
in a church, which is just a little more than 1% of the unchurched people in Delaware County. Do you see why we say there's a need for church planting? There is a lot of work to do. And it shouldn't be a newsflash to you that Delaware County has been a struggling place for a lot of years. Uh, if you read the newspaper, you hear about our schools being in disarray. You see drug problems. It used to be meth. I'm hearing now it's more heroin use. We have a city government investigated by the FBI. We've had shrinking population, high poverty rates in this county for years. So not only do we have 85,000 unreached people, we have a struggling, hurting community. And as Christians, we know, don't we, what the answer is. It, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what changes people, not a particular political movement, not necessarily more money. It's Jesus. It's when people come to see that they need a Savior and they humble themselves and believe in Christ filled with the Holy Spirit and now suddenly they want to live a righteous life in obedience to God and their hearts are filled with a desire to serve and reach out and love their neighbors and their community so that the community prospers and the kingdom advances in the place where the church flourishes. That's what we want to see happen. That's what's happening in the book of Acts and that's what we're hoping and praying will happen with City Hope Fellowship and other churches that by God's grace we can plant. This is not just an effort, friends, to, to say, oh, New Life has an annex, you know, downtown. This is not an effort to expand our empire. Uh, this is not an effort just to say, oh, we're going to have three PCA churches here instead of two PCA churches. What we want to do is wage war with the powers of darkness in this place. And that's what planting churches does. There, there is, it, it's a fallen world. I'm not necessarily saying there's more darkness in Delaware County than other places, but maybe there is. There's certainly a lot of struggles here. And again, Steve Timmis says this, the fruit of the gospel is communities of light, not just individuals, but communities of light invading the darkness and dispelling the oppressive gloom of chaos and disorder. This is church planning, and this is how glorious it is. This is a grand thing, a great thing, a big thing, the most important thing going on on the globe, the expansion of Christ's kingdom through the planting of churches. So that's, that's my first point. The Great Commission begins by planting churches, okay? Now, the second thing is this. The Great Commission continues by the planting of more churches. And so we'll see this as we jump forward to chapter 13. So let, let's go to that, Acts chapter 13. Um, <clears throat> just a little background about New Life in, in particular. Some of you might know Westminster Presbyterian Church in Muncie celebrated its 50th anniversary this year. Uh, Pastor Brian preached at, at their service a, a couple months ago. And um, some of you might not know this either, but it was five years ago that New Life celebrated its 20th anniversary. That means it's our 25th anniversary. New Life has existed for 25 years. And so it wasn't planned this way, but this is how it worked out, that 25 years into Westminster's existence, they planted New Life, and now 25 years into New Life's existence, we are planning a church. 
But the point I want to make from that is, is this. This is a church plant. New life is a church plant. We were once the struggling, fledgling congregation meeting in the school, setting up chairs and tearing down every Sunday. I wasn't there at the time, but I, I know that some of you were, and you remember that, wondering, is this going to work? Wearing yourselves out Sunday after Sunday. This was once a small, fledgling church plant, and God has blessed, and now here we are. And we are a church plant now, ready to plant a church. Now, I, I want to just clarify, I don't think that every single church is in a position to plant a church. I mean, some churches are too small to plant churches. Some churches are too young to plant churches. Some churches are too unhealthy for a number of reasons to plant churches. But New Life doesn't fit in to any of those categories. We're not too young. We're not too small. And I don't think we're unhealthy. Therefore, it's time. It's time to do this. Now, I want to take you back to the text and, and show you how we see this in the Bible. Okay, remember, church started in Jerusalem. Persecution happens. Christians scattered. They go to Antioch. And in Antioch, a church is planted. Now, look what happens. In verse 1, we see a description of the people who are there in this church in Antioch. There were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, <laughs> this is interesting. Barnabas uh, was a Jew. Simeon, who was called Niger, that word Niger is Latin for black. Simeon was a black man, probably from Africa. Lucius of uh, Cyrene, that's... Um, that's a, uh, a, a Gentile name, um, but he's from Cyrene, and Cyrene is in North Africa, so it, it could be that this is another uh, black man. And then Menaean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, so Menaean has this particular connection um, with, the, uh, with, with the king. So he's kind of a, a high-class person. And then we have Saul, Paul, who is a Jew. What you see here is a diversified church in Antioch, an ethnically diverse church. And as Josh has explained, that's kind of the target, the vision uh, for City Hope Fellowship uh, in downtown Muncie. But here's, here's what happens in verse 2. This ethnically diverse church makes a decision. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, now how did the Holy Spirit say this? probably through the prophets that are mentioned there in verse 1. But they discern through the prophets, under the inspiration of the Spirit, that God desires them to set apart for him Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, Barnabas and Saul, I mean, if you guys are familiar with the New Testament, you know that those are pretty well-known names. I mean, certainly you know about Paul. I mean, second to Jesus, probably the most well-known person in the Bible. Barnabas, also a pretty well-known guy. Th these are two famous, skilled, godly, strong leaders in this church plant in Antioch. And what the people in Antioch decide to do is send them out. Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands 
on them and sent them out. Isn't that remarkable? Wouldn't it just be the temptation of the church to think, we got to have Paul here. I mean, Paul's the guy writing the New Testament. Why would we want to let go of him? And Barnabas has this reputation of being a great encourager. He's bolstering the spirits of us. We don't want to let go of him. But no, the church in Antioch, committed to the Great Commission, sends them out. And that's what we're going to do tonight. I mean, the people in this group are talented, gifted, strong leaders, godly people among the 30 that we're sending out. And thank God we get the opportunity to bless Muncie by being the ones that are sending them. There's something good about a church that doesn't see its good resources as something to be hoarded, but as something to be shared. And that's what Antioch, the church in Antioch, does. Now, it says there at the end of verse 3, they sent them off. In verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work. So, so here's my question. What is the work? What is it that Saul and Barnabas are being sent out to do? Okay, I want you to look at your Bibles because I, I want you to, to see a number of verses. We're going to just kind of glance over a number of passages here. I'm going to put the map back on because what I'm about to go through pretty much describes what's happening on this map. I'm seeking to answer this question. What is the work that Saul and Barnabas were sent to do? Okay, look at verses 4 and 5. After they're sent off, what do they do? They go to Seleucia. From there they go to the island of Cyprus and they arrive at a place called Salamis. Go to verse 13. Paul and his companions set sail then from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. So they leave the previous cities, they wind up in Perga. Verse 14, they go on from Perga and they come to a place called Antioch in Pisidia. I mean, how confusing. This is a different Antioch. <laughs> Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, which you'll see up here on the top of the map, which is different than the Antioch over here on the right of the map. Um, from there, then, they go, if you go ahead to verse 51, but they shook the dust off their feet against them, and they went to a city called Iconium. And then from Iconium, if you jump forward into chapter 14, verse 6, they learned of this and they fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. Now, of course, a lot of events are taking place into that. I just want to point out the places that Paul and Barnabas um, were, were visiting and were going to. Now, move ahead to verses 21 to 23, and we get this kind of overview of what Paul and Barnabas were doing in all those cities. So here's what it says. When they had preached the gospel to Derby, so they're preaching the gospel in all of these cities, and they're making disciples in all of these cities, but then do they just go away and say, okay, we got some confessions, professions of faith, people said the sinner's prayer, excellent. They went back to Jerusalem and Antioch and said, people believed. No. It goes on, and it says that they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every 
church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That's the work Saul and Barnabas were sent out to do. They preached the gospel, they made disciples, and they appointed elders. It's just another way of setting up local congregations. They were planting churches, Paul and Barnabas, together. That's the work for which they were sent off. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do, the very purpose for them to be sent. Matt Chandler says this, ultimate Antioch, ultimately Antioch becomes the model for all of us because out of Antioch came missionaries that planted churches that planted churches that made their way to us. Antioch was a church plant and it planted. New Life is a church plant and we want to plant. And God willing, City Hope, a church plant, will plant other churches. But I love what Chandler says here at the end. Churches that made their way to us, you know. We can make the case that the reason that you and I know the gospel and have heard it is because Antioch, the church in Antioch, decided to send rather than keep. They sent people out and the gospel thrived. Eventually the gospel came to the United States as churches were planted. And eventually someone from one of those churches shared the gospel with you. And by God's grace, you came to believe and are saved because of church planning, because of church planning. So, that's my case for church planning. That's why we're doing this. The pattern is laid out here. This is the way the Great Commission works. It started when churches were planted in Jerusalem and in Antioch, and then the churches that were planted continued to plant churches as the gospel spread. So, three applications I want to leave you with here before, before we're done. First thing is this. Think of church planting with a kingdom mindset. Think of church planting with a kingdom mindset. Yes, sending, sending people out tonight is going to mean loss for new life, but it's going to mean great gain for the kingdom. And, and we ought to be able to rejoice in that and be glad in that. Tim Keller says this, Our attitude to new church development is a test of whether our mindset is geared to our own institutional turf or to the overall health and prosperity of the kingdom of God in the city. Is that you? Are you, are you kind of hesitant about this because you want to kind of protect our congregation? Again, it's going to hurt, it's going to be hard, but the kingdom's going to expand. Bring a kingdom mindset to church planning. Second thing, pray and fast for City Hope Fellowship. Josh has already mentioned this, but if you go back to chapter 13, that's what they were doing, right? Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Make it a point. Write it down. Include it in your regular spiritual disciplines to pray for this church. It, it, it's, it's going to be hard to see these people go, but friends, don't minimize how hard it is for them to leave. I mean, a lot of these people have been here for, for years. They're leaving their home church to go into Muncie with the gospel and I know that that can be a difficult thing. Let me clarify this too. This is not a church split. This is a church plant. Okay, that, that's different. They're not leaving because they're mad at us. There's not a disagreement. There's not disgruntledness here. Um, they're leaving because 
they're glad to follow the, the lead of, of God into Muncie. But th- that means it's hard for them. Uh, they're excited, I know, but pray for them. Pray that God would protect them from discouragement. Pray that God would embolden them to share the gospel. Pray that money would come in. Pray for, that, um, that the congregation would grow, that they'd be encouraged, that they would be protected from all the efforts of Satan to slow down and stop the work that is taking place in Muncie. Pray. Third thing, those staying at New Life need to step up. And some of you have already done that, and others of you might need to think a little more carefully about how you're going to serve more. Because, again, if you look back at our text, Paul and Barnabas sent out, but Barnabas, excuse me, Simeon, Lucius, and Menaean, they stayed in Antioch. And we're learning here about various gifts, prophets and teachers. Presumably, they used their gifts in service to the church in Antioch. And so we're going to be talking about this a little more just in the next couple of Sundays as I just present to you uh, opportunities to, to step forward and serve here. But we need everybody to step up. We're going to be 30 people lighter next Sunday. And so we need you. We need you here serving through the week. We need you on Sunday mornings. We need you inviting people uh, to come to church on Sunday. But uh, pray and think about how you might respond to that challenge. So this is why we're planning churches, friends. It's biblical, it's needed, and it's time for us as a local congregation to do this. So come back tonight, would you? Uh, Six o'clock, and... um, We're going to lay hands on Josh as he is ordained, and just like we read here in this passage, we're going to lay hands on City Hope Fellowship and pray for them as we commission them and send them out. Pastor Brian is going to be bringing a message to us from God's Word. It's going to be a joyful, happy, glad time of celebration. So come back 6 o'clock tonight. Let's pray. Father, we... um, are thankful that we are included in your grand redemptive effort to save the lost, to fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, and to expand your kingdom. Thank you for that, Father. Uh, Bless us tonight as we gather in your name. Fill our hearts with joy, and may Jesus our Savior be honored. In his name we pray. Amen.